0: All right, thank you all very much for your brave presence. The last paper of the last <laughs> session, of the last <laughs> day. Thank you. I um, well, this won't be uh, too much of a What? This one? Yeah. Yeah. OK, so let me start with a disclaimer. Uh, because my paper focuses on or looks at Orientalism, I might come across rather gloomy and uh, at times uh, not so celebratory as the general debate about the role of the internet um and so bear with me on that and if you're interested in my more sort of ethnographic deconstructions of the role of the internet in the revolutions as a space and tool you can find my uh, article with Anna alexanders in the international journal of communication and some other articles i wrote so email me and i send you the more for of happy and balanced. <laughs> um, so, the role of any kind of media uh, uh, will, of course, be a central theme when you're talking about revolutions. Um, particularly because the Arab revolutions gave us some of the most, I think, epic uh, events and images seen for many, in, at least in our uh, age. So it's, 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 it's not really surprising that the role of the media is something that's been discussed over and over again, in the role of new media in particular. But it, this of course also had its uh, backlash. Um, the revolutions motivated such a broad range of responses that they sort of led to also what Tarek called an intellectual frustration, uh, as you described it, or actually thought describes uh, four styles of responses to the Arab revolutions. Um, Mutineers, which you call intellectual impotence, stammering, and third, the teletechno expert vision, uh, and the subaltern, the activists themselves. And I think I'm talking about this third version you were identifying, this teletechno expert uh, response style. Um, But of course, I mean, the the toppling of the dictators in Tunisia (laughs) and Egypt um, I mean, were events that happened through mass protests. And I wouldn't be able to start any paper presentation without at least acknowledging that, uh, first of all, and also acknowledging the fact that it's been very important, despite our specific academic uh, work, for at least challenging the disgraceful regime change policy that has dominated the Middle East at least for the last 10 years, years since 9-11. Um, but also Egypt and Tunisia, in a sense, are kind of little antidotes to the unfortunate uh, hijacking of some of the revolutions by self-appointed national councils or intervention from the Gulf and NATO, as we've seen in Libya and maybe partying happening in Syria. And I think it's also important to mention that that it's not just all uh, happily ever after, but these are like, important side notes that need to be taken into consideration. So, uh, for me personally, watching and reading um, sort of the climax, uh, the, the, the moments of, of the beginning of the revolutions, um, I recognize or I, I, uh, I saw this striking feature of uh, almost a neat extension uh, of the technophile uh, framings that had started before with Georgia and Ukraine's 2005 Twitter and Orange Revolutions. and sort of peaked in the 2009, Iran, Green and Twitter revolutions. It's fascinating to see how it was almost literally copy-pasted into the Arab revolutions in terms of the terms and uh, discourse that came with it. Um, so, I mean, many of the media uh, experts uh, or academic media uh, reports that I read uh, about this sort of Facebook revolution sounded much more like it was uh, a projection of their own experience with the internet or a projection of their own enthusiasm reading tweets uh, from Egypt rather than a projection of the actual uh, effect that it had on the ground. But also um, what was also happening, I think, similar to what happened during the Green Revolution in Iran, um, uh, which was uh, very well criticized by Dustor. Was that it was also uh, a victim of a lack of understanding the language. So there was this automatic selection, of course, of English Facebook groups and tweets, which also gave a very uh, unrepresented uh, view. Now, ultimately, I think it's important to recognize that sort of the uh, technophilia hypes are not very different from uh, the counter culture 1960s. Um, uh, discourses uh, that came from the Zootopianism uh, from San Francisco Bay Area. Actually, if you look at the literature at the time of the late 60s, it has a similar uh, feel to it. But I think since we're discussing a particular region um, with quite a special relationship to uh, the politics of representation, um, uh, we should go a little bit uh, further than that. Uh, it's more than the cyber-utopia. Um, this is why there was no such idea of representing the San Francisco Bay Area yuppies as uh, going through an awakening, as we've seen happening through the Arab world. So there are clear differences uh, as well. This is also the reason why I use mediation, the term mediation, um, not purely in terms of dissemination, which of course is also very important and should be part of our inquiry, but I actually uh, consider mediation is its Marxist definition, as employed by Raymond Williams and Terry Eagleton, namely sort of that which connects base and superstructure, or in other words, the set of ideological legitimations that uh, intimately uh, is intimately connected with political economy. And it's uh, sort of old school, but I guess has <coughs> uh, been as relevant as uh, now to understand that. So. And this brings me to Reem's uh, first uh, comment I think the opening. You said that you know the responsibility of uh, critical a- academia is basically also to connect the dots to show the, the, the dialectics and the linkages and so I take it I take your comment as also meaning to unveil the power structures so to ask uh, how imperialism, why our name is a poster boy uh, for internet activism and liberalism network horizontalism as the academic replacement of class power and physical resistance and public diplomacy soft power funding projects of internet campaigns how they are all dialectically uh, related so i'm not going to answer all of these questions of course but i try to offer at least one venue or inquiry to do to deal with it by looking at sort of the middle east internet real, soft power, visual representations that came with it, how that is connected to civil uh, civilization discourses. And I think also a few of the points that Andrea raised about soft power and the kind of ideological campaigns behind uh, political economy, which is very important this discuss, particularly with ICT um, sectors. I personally got really triggered about this issue. Uh, and about also revisiting some of the older orientalism literature going back to saeed and mitchell when i was invited last year march to discuss the role of social media in the revolutions um, at a conference with um, uh, a title that really sort of had a classic image uh, of the orient the title of the conference was Mirage in the desert. And then there was also this camel on a flyer that was uh, 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 lying around. I found that also really fascinating. And of course, there's a much longer depiction uh, of the camel and Arabs, or that connection with the Arabs' camel. And I went and read, uh, tried to read about it, and I found that, particularly this image of the, the frozen camel in stride, in stride apparently was very <laughs> famous early in the days. Uh, it's really fascinating also to sort of relate that to the amazement about the Arabs and the activists using the internet, this kind of s- slight shock on the camel's face <laughs> on that picture that is signifying, signifying the Arab world as waking from uh, its sleep. Um, and it has this slight fear also, this camel on, that, on the, one of those famous pictures. Um, and as Zorby, James Zorbi described, it's kind of like this fear uh, at, um, it looks back, so in fear at what it was running away from, and then it stares uh, forward in fear in the unknown, at the unknown. So I thought it was really illustrative of the kind of combination of the camel, mirage in the desert, uh, the shock about, oh my god, they used the internet. Um, It's really interesting to relate that to this idea of the awakening and it appears that actually uh, waking up from its sleep was exactly the underlying argument also of the special issue of The Economist which was discussing sort of the Arab people caught between tradition and modernity and it's this paradox of tradition and modernity that then I later also found in some of the articles that came out about the role of the internet in the Middle East. So linking not new social media obsession with revolutionary upheavals um, is a very important starting point uh, to consider the internet as having kind of provoked this awakening. The internet was sort of the mediator between the people and this awakening, and I think it's helped uh, this connection, this association, is very much helped by the um, fact that the term awakening also signifies. A certain spontaneity there is this element of spontaneity in that and that interestingly is fits very well with a very familiar paradigm shift in the social movement studies um, called the network politics so the message of this network politics is that political activism it's not anymore this organized thing according to traditional uh, modes of organizing or conditions breeds not political parties anymore, not class politics anymore, but it's now horizontal, it's loosely connected, it's networks, and they don't um, depend anymore on leadership. Um, also, they don't really depend on physical proximity, but that last bit has been changed considerably since the revolution, because it's very difficult to still maintain this argument. So this attribution of sort of the internet enabling this particular characteristic uh, is, of course, key to the success of this narrative. Now, some of the theories that came with this, Barry Wellman, Manuel Castells, but even and negri from the sort of left progressive um, discourse, believed really that the Arab revolutions confirmed their views. I mean, and negri had a, an article in The Guardian where they sort of applauded themselves, see, we, saw, we told you so, horizontal, leaderless, uh, and what have you. But of course, as many people have already commented and said <coughs> about the protests were anything but leaderless or uh, high, uh, not without hierarchy. All these issues were involved with regards to gender, with regards to political parties and prominence, etc. Um, and the fact that these protests were also considered to be part of this new network politics and also beyond class, this assumption I find almost absurd. Um, since I mean, it was particularly in the last week, I think, of these 18 days, that um, it's not really the the uh, wrote about anymore. But it's, it's important to remember that it was the moment that the labor, uh, um, the, sort of the working class, joined the protest as a class. When the striking people in Bahla et etc. joined the protest as a class, and so uh, in, intended to strike and to sort of. Paralyzed the economy, that there was a shifting moment in the last 18 days. There's a brilliant article by Anne Alexander about it. So it's really interesting to read these things stubbornly while at the same time the reality was different. And I thought that one of the activists um, responding to a question of a journalist about this surprise about, yeah, the workers, and you have workers, you have a class, (laughs) and he basically answered, I really don't know what to say. The workers have been staging the longest and most sustained strike waves in Egypt's history since 1946, triggered by the Mahalla strikes in December 2006. It's not the workers' fault that you were not paying attention to their news before. And I thought that was really strong. Like, you're projecting not only your own inability to understand uh, the sort of complex realities on the ground but you're stubbornly continuing to do so while the reality on the ground shows different. So this narrative about unorganized horizontal online networks as political, new political activism is actually um, a depolitization of a very political revolution. It's a kind of a pleasant negation of political ideology. And new social movement theories in the academic milieu That were very happily employing (laughs) metaphysical theorizing and all kinds of difficult, complex uh, terminologies, actually contributed for a while uh, until the revolutions, I would say, or disregarding this the very notion of revolution and resistance, they were writing about it as if it was belonging to some dusty past, Um, and I think it's this kind of post-capitalist fantasies which were. Written about a lot by Bouddhier, but even as I said later by Hardin Negri, that we all had to endure basically, (laughs) explains, I think, also why um, Suad Joseph, uh, in her, uh, she was doing the presidential uh, lecture or, or address at Mesa in December, she really made this plea to bring back the centrality of state and class in the analysis of the Arab revolutions to get rid of this. Sort of unhelpful uh, uh, depolitization and postmodern theory. But of course, it explains also her address, and my feeling with that also explains the kind of discomfort with the amazed commentators. There is something discomforting when people write about others, or including you, in that other, mm-hmm. as oh my god, they use Facebook, they're so smart, they use the internet, there's something not nice about, uh, about that. And, and that reminded me. Um, of very much of the old literature about the Arabs uh, discovering, uh, so sort of the Arab discovering the internet reminded me of the 19th century British colonizers who were really convinced that they were presenting modern civilization by bringing the printing press to Egypt, as Timothy Mitchell writes in his brilliant book, "Colonizing Egypt." This similarity of wow, we brought them printing press; they now can print and they can organize and they become. A public sphere. This kind of amazement, but at the same time combined with we brought you a certain um, model. So it was also in a way, therefore, that I felt like so this Arab internet activism it was a bit like the exhibitions that Mitchell writes about. So sort of the native attracting this astonished Western uh, gaze. So presenting then in that narrative modernity, technology, and Islam. Uh, as uh, in opposition to each other is, of course, already framing the discourse about the Internet. And this paradigm goes hand in hand with the idea that social media was important for, to quote, Barry Wellman, developing a sense of modernity in his article on the Arab Revolution, mainly on Egypt. So, to quote further what Wellman says, he says, because, much like Western societies, parts of Egyptian society are transforming away from traditional groups and towards more loosely connected unstructured individualism. (laughs) Again, projecting this sort of social movement uh, paradigm of networked individualism, connecting that again to us and moving away from their own uh, pre-modern forms of organizing. So if we were to consider the famous revolution, as a passage from Egyptian non-modernity to the modern, then it does not require that much fantasy, of course, to hear this orientalist echo resonating with this 19th century exhibition. So to continue from the same text by Barry Wellman, he writes, they pronounce themselves as the Facebook generation signifying that they were no longer the non-modern Egyptians of the past. And this also reminds me of this description of that camel of the past and, and forward. Of course, let me also remark that um, following also the critical analysis of orientalism by Mitchells and um, uh, Said, that uh, a lot of these associations of course result from the massive outpour of images that Egyptians themselves have taken or actively produced. So it's not just a projection of Western frameworks, it's actually Egyptians themselves were very you know into that uh, uh, discourse and framing. The fact that it's been selectively copy-pasted, that's not their fault, but they were an active agent also in representing this uh, this narrative. And. Um, Of course, uh, it then, of course, offers a very digestible uh, form as an alternative to the more complex and informed content, and so it's much more susceptible for media and newspaper articles to relate to this. So we generated a whole new visual genre about the internet. Uh, and I was really amazed when preparing for this paper how many such victims, there. Are. I had to stop at a certain point, <laughs> it didn't make sense to make a collage. Um, but I will come back to some of these uh, pictures because you can see how selectivity also and, and language, uh, selective language works. For instance, the photo of um, the guy beneath, Shokran al-Shabaab, on Facebook. It's because Facebook is ordinarily written uh, not in Arabic, It's just some, I don't know, it's just something that came about even in Arabic text, Facebook is written in English so what is picked out is what people know, so they think that it says thank you Facebook, while it's actually saying thanks to the youth that we're using the Facebook, so the agent of change is not anymore the youth but is now uh, Facebook. Um, I think someone can recognize this picture. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, Walter's, uh, he, he wrote, uh, oh, they sent us a text message, uh, the army, and I emailed him, please take a picture of your phone and said, this is really interesting. Because what also this par- par- paradigm does is it sort of whitewashes the reality of corporate capitalism of all these ICT companies uh, that were happily, I'm well, not saying happily, but they were eventually, collaborating with the state um, by cutting off the internet, by also by allowing to send these text messages, which were supposed to demobilize against people not to go on the street and not join the uh, uh, protest. And I think to add in- insult to injury, what was most astonishing was this ad by Vodavon, which they eventually had to take off. <coughs> Vodavon was one of the big ICE, uh, internet suppliers who cut their lines. And they actually eventually made a whole uh, commercial <laughs> claiming that they helped the revolution and that they were uh, part of it. Uh, uh, quite but I think I'll, I'll wrap up uh, now and to see how sort of this civilization uh, discourse was inserted uh, with the discussion about the internet. So I think that the Facebook revolution is like a subplot of a narrative whereby, sort of, as I said, the Arabs suddenly awoke thanks to the availability of this extraordinary, non-native uh, tool. And the paradox that is uh, surely at place comes from the fact that, uh, as my quote by Wilman and others suggest, internet technology is something modern uh, inserted in a context that is non-modern or wants to, wants to be modern. I will not bore you with my references to Thomas Friedman, who I think is the most <laughs> important pundit who has been selling this uh, storyline. Um, uh, but he was one of the people who was then copy-pasted, that's why he's relevant, it's not because he's a because he is, he's being copy-pasted in policy papers, who actually helped sell this discourse. He even said that um, Bahrainis were you know, awoken thanks to Google because they saw Google, they saw their country on Google and realized whatever their faith, I guess. Um, and he also was one of the people who praised um, Palestinian uh, internet campaigns in Gaza as a, not, uh, as a non-violent alternative to uh, whatever the mainstream uh, politics. So to wrap up, um, I think it's interesting, sort of, this, this collection of this, what, I'm, what I call garage Facebook, <laughs> they, this picture has been replicated so many times, and I discern, I think, two different garages. You can see that. It's, they're not both the same, but they're two different, and I think it's very symbolic the one beneath with the two, I thought that was really the gaze but the, but the other <coughs> way around with the two guys looking up and and I think what they're actually looking at is Facebook the gravity but more what is everybody here coming to take a picture of? What is this? What is, you know? What is, <laughs> and that was the picture that CNN used and I thought that is also not an innocent an innocent combination, you know, this sort of man with beard and a bit weird and funny and looking at Facebook but also, the original picture is the one in the middle. And you see what is being cut out. So Jazeera, written in Arabic, is not part of the uh, picture usually uh, shown with only Facebook. And that would have complicated the discourse, right? Then you would have said that actually Jazeera is considered as important if not more important uh, than Facebook. So I thought this collage would actually show not only how many times it has been uh, uh, shown, but also um, how problematic so I will end uh, with um, <laughs> just a reminder of the fact that of course at the same time there's all this resistance and counter-narratives and people are not just buying that and they're talking back um, so there were lots of uh, com- com- complaints uh, about it from the very beginning and I think I that was very uh, very uh, clearly in the beginning even before the Egyptian revolution took off uh, his comment on Twitter was about the Tunisian revolution because let's not forget the revolution was the framework for the Egyptians, but before that it was the WikiLeaks revolution for the Tunisians. And so this, graf- this graffiti has been in different places in Cairo. I don't know how prevalent they are in the streets. I haven't seen it, but maybe you can say. But this sort of spray painted graffiti is also very relevant. So I just wanted to end with that old quote from Jill Scott Heron because it sort of shows not only you know, this quote about the television will not be televised, but also the the, the bit of the repetition, it will not be televised, <coughs> it will not be televised, it will not be televised, and this that repetition of what actually ordinary people are saying, we're still fighting, we're still fighting, we're still fighting, it's not a, a narrative that has a beginning and an end, it's actually after 12, 14, 18 months still uh, co- uh, continuing, and I thought uh, that is a, it's a, I think, an easy And a good way to end up by saying, yes, it is part of being televised, but it is absolutely not the end uh, of a uh, a narrative, and it's been uh, ongoing. So I'll leave it at this, and um, if you have any questions.